I see that you have a picture of Abraham Lincoln behind you. Do you know what my son, my first son's name is? Lincoln. It is Lincoln. Yep. Why do you have a picture of my, Abraham Lincoln behind you? My my first son's name was going to be Lincoln as Seriously? well. But I didn't have a son. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> had, had I had a son, his name probably would have been Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of the fortitude that he is uh, that he has put up with. I also have a George Washington right behind me, and off screen we have Ronald Reagan. But I think hmm. to uh, you know, I think particularly since you asked about Abraham Lincoln, just the 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 tear that that man went through as in his presidency, in in an effort to bring about unification. I think the the reality of um, of keeping a country united despite the fact that he likely disagreed so wholeheartedly with half of the country uh, is, is just a really, really incredible way that he saw it. The way he sought wisdom uh, from and, 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 and the struggles that he went through in his family. And uh, I think his, his strength, his spirituality definitely spoke to that. And he kept a pretty good wit about him during the entirety of it. So I think there's a lot we can learn from the wisdom of Lincoln. There's nothing we can't learn that we couldn't have picked up from something that was just developed yesterday. Don't you know that? <laughs> the, you know, I, I, I think it is insane. I, um, I, I think I've said this before, and I've, I've delved deep into it with a number of my conversations, and they're not necessarily optometry related, but I do think it's relevant to you know, what we're doing with myopia management, what we do with early AMD treatment, glaucoma treatment, dry eye treatment. It's like people just don't have conversations anymore. It's why I love doing podcasts like this. I mean, it's mostly selfish on my part, but people don't know how to, um, you know, how to like just figure out ways that that we can um, not agree to disagree, but like where where am I struggling with something that you're saying and how do I overcome it? And one of the things that um, in myopia management that I heard you say that um, I just disagree with. And I, I don't think that it me- makes you a bad person. Um, you agree with everything I say. Yeah, except for this one thing. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. David Kading, who uh, practices in Seattle, Washington, and he does a lot of primary eye care stuff, but specifically today, we talked about myopia management. It was a lot of fun having a conversation with him about that, and uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight one-day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by CooperVision. This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single-vision one-day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice.
Yeah. I think, um, you know, to me, what's really interesting, you're doing a lot of stuff with myopia now, but what's really interesting to me is, as I think back, you know, you were sort of a dry eye guy for a long time, and I still suspect you are. Is that a, a correct assumption? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. So I was, uh, I was consulting with some companies and um, working with Mila Brugic, who is my counterpart in a lot of things. He's like, Dave, I don't, I don't think they know that you do dry eye. So I had really? this conversation with this person and like, I thought you were the, the specialty contact lens person, like the keratoconus, like the big contact lens guy. And uh, so I explained to him, yeah, I have a pretty big dry eye practice. That's a, that's a big part of who we are and what we do. And then fast forward another couple of years, Mila was doing some uh, scleral lens workshops and, you know, doing some things. And uh, he mentioned to this person who's in the specialty contact lens arena that I did scleral lenses. And they're like, really? I thought he was a dry eye guy. <laughs> right. And it's so it's kind of like in the sphere that you see me. But I've been doing myopia management since 2004, 2005. My my mentors were doing a lot of orthokeratology. I remember the conversation uh, in the uh, in in the lounge during my residency where Pauline Chu's original study came out mm. on slowing the progression of myopia with orthokeratology. And my wife was doing her binocular vision and pediatrics residency. And I was doing my contact and, and my mentors like, this is perfect for you guys. This is going to be a big part of your practice moving forward. That was Patrick Caroline, because you do pediatrics and contact lenses and you like doing ortho. Okay. That was so a, right off the bat. Well, Patrick yeah, Caroline, he was at Pacific. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I did my residency at Pacific. So since then, yeah, we've had a pretty big myopia management practice all the way back and, you know, doing soft multifocals as soon as they came out. Obviously, we've done orthokeratology from the beginning and, uh, you know, went to ortho K meetings, myopia management meetings all the way back 2005, 2006, 2007. Mm. So uh, on my podcast, I interviewed Craig Norman and he's like, the funny thing about myopia management is it's an overnight 30 year success, right? It's taken <laughs> right, 30 years to right. get here, but now it's all of a sudden becoming popular and it's been great. I've lectured all over the world about myopia management and now it seems to like hit this tipping point, right? We're, mm. we're there large part due to Cooper vision and their incredible work uh, worldwide. I just met with them on their six year data with the seventh year data being the, the where they dropped people out of the treatments. Some really cool data we're going to be seeing coming out um, in, in, at the upcoming meetings and, you know, in the literature about the evidence of six, seven years of ortho care of myopia management with soft lenses and in the my site. So really cool stuff. So yes, I, I am a dry eye person. Uh, and I do uh, specialty contact lenses and myopia management. And then the fourth pillar in our office, we've got four that we really stand on is binocular vision and pediatrics, which my wife has a vision therapy practice. I love that because, you know, I think you and I, while we don't know each other very well, I think we look at the profession and our, our role as primary eye care providers very similarly in that um, I think if you understand the evidence behind what you're doing with managing specific disease states, then you can do them at a very high level, a very high level. Oh. And, um, and if you can overcome the, ability, the, the uh, thinking of like, how do I incorporate this into my practice? in a way that's not that's not going to be so disruptive. Like there are a few people, I think I suspect you're one of them that can um take anything, like any disease state and be like we can make this work. Bing, this is how we're mm -hmm. going to do it. But but really many docs just struggle with this idea of like 
how do we do this? How do, like when I when I talk about myopia management, you see this as well. Is um, well, how do we charge for this? Or um, how do I set up a program around this? Or like it's not the like it's not the stuff about how do we manage myopia. That actually, as you point out with my site, it like can be very straightforward. Now I'm not saying it's simple, but it can be very straightforward. But they're not struggling with that stuff. They get it. They get the evidence. They get the the way to do it. It's like, how do I do this in a way that doesn't completely disrupt my practice? So when you th- when you see guys mm-hmm. and you talk to guys all across the world that are doing a lot of this, um, do they look at primary care the same way, or they just have have sort of gotten this into a, a specific niche? What are the things that you see that hold people back from really embracing myopia management at some level? Yeah. Well, I think you, you, you nailed it, uh, in that, um, so oftentimes the business side of optometry cripples us from performing at the clinical level that we should be. Hmm. And, uh, it, it's, it's so true that we're not performing to our full potential, not because we don't know better, but because we don't know how to do it or how to implement or or bring it in. I think myopia management is certainly one of those avenues. And, uh, you know, due to the the great work of so many people that are in the space, with it growing in the space, with J&J coming in, with Essilor coming in and Hoya, uh, we've got four to six different atropine companies, others that are doing work (laughs) right now. As more and more of that comes in, there's going to be this mainstream perspective of how we utilize it. And one thing that we probably do poorly in eye care is we allow a specialty to become really washed out uh, so that we're not performing the level of the specialty that we should because we've kind of watered it down and, and, and neutralized it a little bit. So I want you to give me an example of that, specifically with myopia management. Mm-hmm. Well, myopia management, I don't think that we're there yet. Okay. So uh, give me an example that of that with be. something else. Let, actually, I, I will with myopia management. So I think that there's going to be a, a, an aspect of it with the spectacle lenses coming into the space, where it may be that People don't dig into the technical aspects of who may be better with spectacles versus soft multifocals versus atropine. And they may just say, well, I don't like to fit those contact lenses. I'm going to just water it down and put everybody into the one treatment and just see how it works. I don't have to worry well, about professional fees. I don't have to worry about any of my additional time. It's just a, right. normal, con- a normal prescription I'm going to write. Here you go. Yeah. Yep. And although those products are likely to get, become more expensive and so forth, their cost will come down. And, and I think both you and I agree that the more patients have access to things, the better it is. We need to support ourselves as a profession on the financial side. But I think that we may water things down a little bit as our access to things becomes a little bit better. And just because it's more available doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be good at knowing the differentiation. We could probably say the same thing with glaucoma medications over the Mm -hmm. years, how there is a difference between the medications and there are certain ones that perform a little bit better, but I don't think we're having some of those same discussions around this one works better for this patient and this one may work a little bit better for this. I think we will see that at some point with myopia management. And I think the important thing for those of us that are educating people on myopia management is to make sure people understand that 
there is a differentiation and there are people that are better with ortho K. There are better people who are maybe better with soft lenses. There may be people who are better with atropine. And how do we incorporate these into the different aspects of our practice in order to maximize the treatment outcome? I want to, I want to speak to that just for a second. Yes, I know please do. Uh, no, no, that's, that's exactly what but, I was going to ask you. Um, was, was, a, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, give me an example of where you think one of those would be superior to another and what would you look at clinically? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, certainly for, we start myopia management at one or two years of age in our practice, and I'm not going to fit that child with the North OK lens, although they do all the time in Asia, but I may start that patient with a, uh, an atropine in, in those examples. Just the other day, we had a patient who was in a soft multifocal and came to the practice and he's losing his lenses all the time at school because his eyes are drying out with the soft lenses. He's six years old. He rubs his eye, his lens falls out right? And he's having to wear a mask at school mm -hmm. all the time. Well, he, we really should move him into orthokeratology. It's going to be a lot easier for the parent. You know, the, the, the school teachers are not putting contact lenses in his eyes. So those are, those are some examples. I think we, we also look to the studies to tell us a little bit about how effective the treatments are. And uh, talking with Patrick Caroline about this, we were talking about way that clinical studies are done. So if somebody is in a MySight study and they're a non-responder, but according to their study, about 10% of people were, if you take those 10% of non-responders out of their data, their data actually shows that it's a better treatment than if you include the non-responders. Mm, right, right. Well, you and Much I better. in clinical practice, yeah, you and I in clinical practice would never let those non-responders stay in treatment. We would switch things. So it tends to be that in clinical practice, we always do far more effectively hmm. in myopia management than the studies indicate. Yeah. So if you see an ortho K study or a soft multifocal or an atropine, if you were in clinical practice, you would track that patient. And if something's not going well, you're going to switch them out of that treatment and try something different. Thus, your effectiveness in myopia management is going to be better. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I make the comment all the time when I'm talking about orthokeratology and myopia management that if you look at just do a quick meta-analysis of all the main studies we've got on orthokeratology, you can get right around 50% reduction in, in myopia progression. Some are, you know, 15 points higher. Some are 15 points lower. But, yeah. um, but my... My clinical observation, and I always say this, and I can't, again, I, I'll say, I don't have a study for this. I can't explain why that's the case. But my clinical observation is that most of my patients that have been in orthokeratology for six, seven, eight, nine years are dead stable. And it's probably mm -hmm. the case that, um, that some of what you're talking about comes into play. Yeah. Well, I'll also mention with OrthoK, we, uh, we've historically had a perspective of what an orthokeratology lens should fit like, right? And mm. we were all taught that in optometry school, large blue ring, huge treatment <laughs> zone. So there's not glare or shadows and aberrations. And we've now come to discover that quite possibly that's not the most ideal myopia management, um, you know, the fit that we would ha have. And we've seen smaller treatment zones. Usually that includes a smaller optic zone of the lens and there's debate on what a treatment zone <laughs> looks like. Um, but smaller treatment zones tend to provide a better myopic management effect. And we've got data from the studies that are showing that. And there's also some interesting studies that, that uh, you may have seen that talk about higher order aberrations 
are better at slowing the progression of myopia. And what, wh why that's important is I was talking to my good friend, Randy Kojima, who's kind of the, the, the big brother of all uh, topography. And he t was talking about visiting China and their ortho K fits are all it's over a, the place, so super sloppy. Yeah. So does that mean it's not working? Well, lo and behold, this particular study showed that higher order aberrations, coma, and spherical aberration, which coma tends to be induced when a lens is decentered, hmm. actually may slow the progression of myopia better. Now, in no way am I going to fit an improper looking right. lens right. and have it be super bad and have three diopters of astigmatism. But maybe that patient who's coming in, who's 20, 25 plus, and their lens that fit is just a little bit temporal more than I want it to be, but the patient's doing fine and they're seeing great. They're happy. Yeah. Maybe we're slowing the progression of their myopia better than if we had fixed it. Yeah. Um, and so th those are some interesting aspects on ortho K that just have really rung, rung true with me recently. So I've been, I've been really, you know, I, I heard you talk at, at the vision source exchange about this and, and I've been kind of, you know, everybody that does ortho keratology, when, when we present cases, we want to present like the best case and we don't want anybody to challenge why we didn't make this other little modification. Right. But like, I'm with you. I mean, I, there's times and it's not, it's not infrequent. And I think that's part of what you learn in clinical practice that maybe is hard to learn in a, in a university setting or in a residency setting, depending on where you're at is that, is this idea that, well, how much further do I need to go? How many more times do I see this patient back to try to make perfect when a patient's completely happy and we're, and we're doing what we set out to do? And especially when you present that, that information, it, it makes me, you know, again, my, all, my thought is, well, look, if the pa like you said, patient's happy, no corneal staining, uh, acceptable overrefraction, no, um, you know, and, and topography is not perfect. What it makes me think of is that more people ought to um, communicate those kind of nuances in their case presentations during during CE lectures of like saying like, look, this doesn't have to be perfect. You should aim for perfection, but but the reality is is you can be completely fine without it and knowing when to stop. I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of docs to, to say, okay, when do I go in? This doesn't look perfect. Why isn't it perfect? And then they think perfect is the is the only thing, and it's the enemy of of acceptable and really mm -hmm. actually quite good. Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. the 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 only thing I would add is that do we know what perfect is? Hmm. Maybe we're thinking perfect is one thing where when I do orthokeratology for a myopia management, I'm doing it to slow down the progression. And maybe what we used to think is perfect actually isn't, hmm. right? And your, yeah. your point in case of, uh, you know, uh, the topography maybe being off. And I think that that may be the biggest thing that has improved my success in practice. And I have to work this out of my residence. I have two residents <laughs> in the office and I have to work out of them. Perfection, quote yes. unquote, yes. perfection. I have to work that out of them in, in, in a true private practice type of setting, a true clinical practice of, of what is perfect. And Gary Gerber and I kind of agree on this. And we've talked about this with other people in the myopia management spaces. Oftentimes when we are doing myopia management, the reason why it fails is because we're not meeting the expected visual acuity that the parent had in mind. Hmm. And uh, I don't do myopia management with an intended purpose of a refractive correction. 
I do myopia management with the intended purpose of slowing the progression of myopia as much as I can. And when we go into it with that, I think we become more successful. For instance, what's your anticipated visual acuity, Chris, when you use atropine alone on somebody? Just by itself with without glasses? Yeah, yeah not good. Yeah, you, you're it's going to be whatever their best correct, yeah, be, right? whatever their uncorrected vision is. So, so when we're using other treatments for the intended purpose of slowing the progression of myopia, I think we should think about it somewhat similar to how we do with atropine, but it just happens to be that we get them to see mm. better, right? So a small optic zone with orthokeratology, a small treatment zone, isn't going to give as good a visual acuity as a large treatment zone might for somebody. And so I right off the bat tell my patients, you know, there's a really good chance that you're going to have to wear glasses in addition to the treatment that we're using for certain activities. There may be times where you're sitting in the back of the room and you need to wear a pair of glasses that's going to give you a little bit enhanced visual acuity or, or vision and, you know, kind of joke with the kids. If you ever become a, you know, a military sniper or a fighter pilot, we're going to have to wear glasses occasionally for that. But pointing out to the parent right off the bat, I'm shooting for this top line on the eye chart. That's where I'm at now. And, and you and I both know a lot of times when ortho cake, when myopia management kids come in, they're seeing like 2060 mm. and then the parents gripe that we're not 2020 plus. So <laughs> I kind of tell them with this treatment, we're shooting for 2030 or 2040. Interesting. Oftentimes we get 2025 or 2020, but if we miss a couple letters of that eye chart and we need to give them a minus a quarter or a half a diopter, a sill or whatever it is to fine tune that vision, um, we become really successful. Whereas it oftentimes was that I fixed the myopia management, but I was seeing the patients back for two or three or five more visits to get that one line of one more letter or yes. one more line of acuity where really we were, we were making the parents upset because they thought we were failing. And we also were discouraged that we couldn't fix the myopia management problem. That is potentially the greatest things that I have done for success. Mm -hmm. Many of the myopia management studies that are out there, they don't have 2020 as the outcome, right? right. The SMART study was 2025, right? So I think that's a really key component. I think that we can all remind ourselves of, including myself, when I'm seeing patients is what's the outcome we're shooting for? Number one, slow the progression. Yeah, I think so. I think that's another hurdle that mentally, you, probably you and I need to make sure we're talking about um, from the podium is is the or even just on shows like this is that you know doctors are specifically optometrists are really uncomfortable uh, with not twenty twenty, right? We're mm -hmm. not comfortable with that. It's sort of beaten into our head in school is if a patient's not twenty twenty, why aren't they in twenty twenty? And if we can't explain it. What's going on, right? And so um, having that understanding and having enough of those under your belt to know that it's okay um, is, I think, super important. Because, yeah. again, if I'm looking at it from a standpoint of how do we make less doctor, how do we make more doctors provide more access points to patients for this type of treatment? And one of it, one of the biggest things is getting them comfortable with this idea that they might be a shaky 2025 or 2030, um, and and that's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, and when that happens, it's to be expected in in many cases, and. Um, 
and you can continue on forward as opposed to feeling like, oh, yeah. I got to give up and go back to normal glasses. Yeah, yeah. To, to be clear, the vast majority of my patients mm. are 2020 minus one, minus right. two. Absolutely. But for those Absolutely. of us that are listening, we, we certainly know that there are some that are 2030. Yeah. And it may be that we can't get them any better because of the higher order aberrations, which as previously stated, could be a really good thing. We don't know. Uh, so I, I agree with you. We have to be okay with that and, and recreating what the expectation is moving, moving into the treatment is really where that starts. And I think that's the reason why historically many people didn't do myopia management when it was just ortho K is they thought, well, you know, that's too, too hard to do. And something like the smart study showed that with one set of lenses, you can be about 90% successful on the first try, um, 96% with one lens change. Um, so that's, you know, ortho K is not a really tough thing to do. Um, to get started. And I would say that if you've made one lens change or two lens changes and it doesn't work, try something different, right? Yeah. It, yeah. You're going to be successful a lot. And uh, with soft multifocals as well as they're working, but some kids do struggle with the visual acuity with that, right? Because of that ad power, their pupil size, they may be 2025. 20, and as stated, that's okay. Yep. Yeah. They'll get by. Yeah. So, um, I see that you have a picture of Abraham Lincoln behind you. Do you know what my son, my first son's name is? Lincoln. It is Lincoln. Yep. Why do you have a picture of my, Abraham Lincoln behind you? My my first son's name was going to be Lincoln as Seriously? well. Seriously? But I didn't have a son. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> had, had I had a son, his name probably would have been Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of the fortitude that he is uh, that he has put up with. I also have a George Washington right behind me and off screen, we have Ronald Reagan. But I think hmm. to, uh, you know, I think particularly since you asked about Abraham Lincoln, just the, the, the tear that that man went through as in his presidency in, in an effort to bring about unification. I think the, the reality of, um, of keeping a country united despite the fact that he likely disagreed so wholeheartedly with half of the country uh, is, is just a really, really incredible way that he saw it. The way he sought wisdom uh, from and, 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 and the struggles that he went through in his family. And uh, I think his, his strength, his spirituality definitely spoke to that. And he kept a pretty good wit about him during the entirety of it. So I think there's a lot we can learn from the wisdom of Lincoln. There's nothing we can't learn that we couldn't have picked up from something that was just developed yesterday. Don't you know that? <laughs> the, you know, I, I, I think it is insane. I, um, I, I think I've said this before, and I've, I've delved deep into it with a number of my conversations, and they're not necessarily optometry related, but I do think it's relevant to, you know, what we're doing with myopia management, what we do with early AMD treatment, glaucoma treatment, dry eye treatment. It's like, People just don't have conversations anymore. It's why I love doing podcasts like this. I mean, it's mostly selfish on my part, but people don't know how to, um, you know, how to like just figure out ways that that we can um, not agree to disagree, but like where where am I struggling with something that you're saying, and how do I overcome it? And one of the things that um, in myopia management that I heard you say that. 
um, I just disagree with. And I, I don't think that it me- makes you a bad person. Um, you agree with everything I say. Yeah, except for this one thing. <laughs> and you made the comment. So when I when I heard you talk, and it was a great, a great talk, but this is the, but you brought up the point about how do we figure out ways where people disagree? And I think a microcosm of that is probably myopia management. You know, you hear people talk about you got to have an axial, you know, a, a axial length, or you're not doing this well, or you got to have this, or you got to do that, or you got to use this program. I so the the thing that I want to kind of hash out with you, and I'm I would I would love to change my mind on it, but you made the point that. When you have a patient that has that you're intervening with myopia management on, you said, um, "Well, I would start off with multiple treatments at once." Yeah. And my approach is like, well, this is like glaucoma, right? Like, I'm not going to start out with most patients. Now, I could see certain circumstances. We can probably find some common ground, and maybe we've already sure. got it. But I would say with a glaucoma patient, right, a standard early treatment glaucoma patient, I would probably start with one medication and see how they do. And um, as long as they were stable, I would leave it at that one medication. So tell me about your approach to multiple treatments. And I probably just misunderstood what you said, but maybe not. Yeah, well, I want to make sure I'm understanding your perspective. So if you see a glaucoma patient and you treat them and you see them back how will you know they have progressed or that treatment isn't working for them? Yeah, I would look at their OCT. I would look at their visual field. I would look at their intraocular pressure. Yeah. And so if somebody progresses in their glaucoma um, by uh, 3%, 5%, are they going to ever know it? Yeah, probably. But it depends on how old they are, but probably, probably not. With that, that okay. small of a reduction. Okay. Yeah. So with myopia management, I think that when we see progression, it goes up by a quarter or a half. We know from the studies that a diopter, every diopter matters. And so if you go up by a diopter and you get that, then you're increasing your risks and we can talk about prevalence or incidence. It sure, can sure. kind of get, but you can increase your risk by 60% of getting uh, maculopathy or the prevalence of maculopathy goes up. So whether it's the incidence or prevalence, and we can talk about that in a moment, Mark Bullimore will definitely. Oh yeah. No, I've talked to Mark that. about that. Yes. Yeah. It's, so, o- it's okay. It, it, it's not, it's not most, most clinicians don't care about the difference. Um, right. I mean, so it, it, your incidence for your, your likelihood of having vision loss from your myopia goes up significantly. Yes for every diopter. Right. And so the way I see it is that if you're 80 years old and you have glaucoma and we try you on something and we check back in three months and we see that it's not doing what it's supposed to do, we can make modifications that will probably, and oftentimes with glaucoma medications, we don't ever stop the disease, but what we do is we keep it from you going blind at 80, we move it out to 150. Right. And you're gonna, you're not gonna live that long to go blind. So with myopia management, what we're doing on a six or seven-year-old is something that is gonna affect them for the rest of their life. And their risk factors of progressive disease are so much higher with a half or a full diopter. Hmm. So for that reason, I think that it's imperative for us to go all in, and you're not the only one who has a question on this, <laughs> but to go all in because 
the risks that are associated with the treatment are far smaller than the risks that are associated with progression. And usually that additional thing that we're adding is atropine. And the beauty about it is so many of the kids that have come in to see us have already been on a treatment or have really been progressing hmm. um, oftentimes in my practice. And, and we get a lot of referrals. So, you know, that may be outside of what most people see. But most kids that are in the six, seven or eight category are progressing. And that little bit in the, in the younger age, their risk factors for high disease is really high. So I would go all in. And once I have stability, and once I've seen hmm. that things are stable, I may back off of a treatment if the family wants to. Oftentimes they don't want to because putting an atropine drop in isn't that much more progressive or aggressive. And maybe they're only doing it every other night in reality. And the cost of atropine right now yeah. as a not being prescription, and, and we've worked through this and I'd be happy to share this with your listeners, is like $13 a month to $50 a month, depending on the compounding pharmacy that you use. Yeah. So $13 from a cost perspective, we can talk about maybe some risk factors or putting some BAK in a kid's, in a kid's eye for years and years and years, but there's also preservative free options for patients. So that's how I see it is the risk of additional treatment and the hassle of it is far less than the risks of additional progression. And, you know, maybe if we were talking about a 17 year old and he progressed a quarter over the last two years, maybe I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Um, but most of the time when we talk about myopia management, we're talking about fast progressors in the earlier ages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a really valid point. And I think from from my perspective, most of my patients have been pretty stable on one intervention. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm not seeing a, maybe a different patient population than you're seeing. I'm not seeing them as a huge yeah. referral source where people are having a hard time slowing things down. But I think you make a good point. I mean, I think you make a good point of especially those patients that have already done something else. Um, so I think we're closer. Yeah. I think we're close. Th well, at least maybe, I'm closer to you. Closer, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a study, and I, I, I just want to mention this particular study, which looks at multiple treatments and uh, the effect of utilizing it is uh, individuals that did dual therapy uh, were two times less um, with their progression than with ortho-K alone, and two and a half times less progressed when they used atropine 0.01% was this particular study. This particular study is the additive effects of orthokeratology and atropine in slowing axial elongation in children. Uh, and that was the first year results. And uh, the study's probably progressed and I just haven't seen this, but showing that you could get a double effect for individuals um, utilizing do two treatments uh, certainly seems beneficial with the drawback being so small. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, um, well, I'm going to leave it there because I want to be respectful of your time, but I would love to talk about, there's a whole other slew of things I'd love to talk to you about, but, um, but I do want to be respectful of your time. Thanks so much for coming on. Dr. Kading, tell us where people can find you, uh, if they haven't listened to your podcast before. 
Yeah, thank you, Chris. So uh, we have two podcasts. One's called The OI Show, and we deal with kind of all things optometry. And uh, like Chris said, it's just talking to people, right? It's so much fun to just hang out with people for 15 or 20 minutes. Our podcast format's pretty pretty uh, slow or pretty small in that we are only 15 or 20 minutes. And then my second podcast is called the Myopia Podcast, and it deals with myopia. And we're talking to some of the leading scientists, clinicians, and researchers um, around uh, myopia and all the treatments that are out there. And I've just learned so much from these people, such incredible. Um, Optometric Insights is my um, company that I have with Dr. Mila Brujic, and we house all of our uh, educational content on our website and through our social media. So optometricinsights.com will direct you towards all of our stuff. Awesome. Thank you for letting me be a part of your podcast. Thanks for being on, man. Appreciate it.